0: I'm going to just throw some stuff out so you guys can process it a little bit and think. But we've been talking about a a motorcycle life group. How many of you would be interested in that motorcycle life group? Do you have a motorcycle, Wesley? No? I didn't actually make that a requirement, so be proud. Um, Some of the guys, you know, have motorcycles and they want to do that. Um, Also, we've been talking about a Jeep, jeeping life group. Who has jeeps that would like to be interested in that? I know me and Doug and Breck and, um, and uh, Aaron and Josh and another Josh and Aaron Cruz and, and uh, me, I got I the coolest jeep. Mine's the coolest. Um, and so I, I've been wanting to do this. I think we should vote. I think Doug should be in charge of our Jeep Life group. Everybody in favor of Doug being in charge of Le- Jeep Life group? Raise your hand. Come raise your hand, guys. <laughs> okay. All right, so be it. Do I want to propose
1: another group? Yes. Mini Coopers.
0: Mini Coopers? <laughs> you, can, you can propose that all, all day long. Well, there three of us. So. Oh, oh, I did want to do this tonight, too. Um, we'll get to Luke 18 in a second. It's been a while since I've done this, but anything that you're processing, you say, you know, I've, I've been processing this out of Scripture, and that, part of the reason I say this is because when we do the journey at my house, there's always lots of very good questions. People are really processing things, and, and um, we spend a lot of time talking and, and answering questions and doing that kind of stuff, and I try to do that every now and then on Wednesday night, but, but uh, so tonight... Um, Do you have anything that you've been thinking about scripturally or processing? I don't don't care. I don't guess it has to be from the Bible. What's going on in your life? Russell. Can you talk a little bit about the red heifers that just arrived in Israel and uh, in Leviticus? I mean, because it seems like, I mean, I've read Leviticus about the red heifers and the purification and everything in the third temple, but... They seem to add a lot more to it, and I just yeah. didn't know how. Uh, what your perspective on it was? You mean they add a lot more to the whole sacrifice and all? Yes. That. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so this is this is kind of interesting. Um, so so let's back up just a little bit before we get to the red heifer, so we kind of have some context. But um, this is this is prophetic about end times. It's actually uh, it's actually more. Uh, Jewish tradition than it is prophetic, although there's some prophetic too. But it has to do with end times. It Has to do with the sacrifices, and and I've actually been talking about this some. I need to make sure that we, we need to put this on the church website or email or something and send it out because I keep forgetting to do this. But I've been um, part of this group that's um, we're doing a um, we're doing um, a uh, a video. Like a podcast uh, for na- uh, churches around the nation, and there's, there's, it's become hundreds of pastors and churches around the nation that are not around the nation, around the world, that are part of this thing. And, and I, I speak at this sometimes, um, it's, it's part of Joshua Nations, and Vili uh, that goes to the church here, he's part of that. In fact, um, I just found out Vili, how, how many of you know Vili? Okay, good um Villy is from South Africa originally and um and then he he tries he tries to be at church as much as possible but he's in foreign countries he travels a lot with Joshua Nations but his father who everybody on this there's hundreds of these pastors Africa South America all kinds of things they all call his dad Papa Bomer because his uh Villy's uh, last name it's German Dutch Bomer and so He's coming into the States, and so I'm going to have him speak for us in December. I thought that's, that's going to be kind of exciting for me because I, I really respect this guy. I think he's an amazing guy. But um, <clears throat> but we've been teaching on end times. We've been teaching on eschatology and stuff, and then this is sent out. It's also part of their website, but it's sent out to a lot of people. In fact, I didn't realize how big the, the group was, but there's a group of us. There's, there's about four of us, five of us sometimes that uh, we just sit around and, and discuss the subjects, the eschatology of the day, I mean of the night, what we're doing, and then we... Because there's different views, you know, it's, this guy's view, the different things, and we don't, we try not to, like, override each other, but we'll we'll say whether we agree with that or not, and then scripturally explain why or whatever. And this is being sent out all over the world, and it's actually getting quite a bit of traction. There's, there's apparently hundreds, even thousands of pastors around the world that are catching this, Having it sent to each other and stuff like that, and, and paying attention to our eschatology. And uh, which I like. I, I like to discuss eschatology. I like to, to go through this stuff. And I do like the fact that there are different views. One of the guys in our group, he believes, I'm, I'm a pre tribulation guy, and he believes in um, three tribulations pre, mid, and post, all three. And I'm like, no. But uh, but he's got interesting stuff of how he approaches it. And so that's you know he's one of the panelists that we do that we have on there. And so so with all that said, that's the advertisement for that. I'll, I'll try to remember. I'll try to remember to send that out a link to it, or maybe maybe on my Facebook or church Facebook or something like that, because you can go and watch them all. <clears throat> but the so so one of the things that has to happen at the end time. This is out of uh, Ezekiel. Um, 36. Well, 35 kind of comes into it, and then Ezekiel 36. Uh, there, there, There's certain things that have to happen as the end times get closer, and uh, and some of those things are already happening, but there's a few things in Ezekiel that have not happened. One of the biggest things that has to happen, and this is not just in Ezekiel, by the way, it's also in Daniel, but but there, there has to be the rebuilding of the temple. Right? You have to have The temple, because this is where the antichrist goes at the three and a half year mark. He goes into the rebuilt temple, and um, and that's where he he um, declares himself to be God. And this, and he stops the sacrifices and everything. And I and I read an article the other day. Now this is this is important. We're going to kind of blend two thoughts together. This is kind of important. I was reading this article about how, you know, the, the end-time the end sacrifices in the temple, once a temple's built and the end-time sacrifices, even though these are Jewish sacrifices, it's, it's still shouting out that Jesus is the Messiah, which, which it can't be anymore because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. But, but um, these sacrifices are for, are for, this was the content of the article, they are for the church. And this is, this is important for the church, Okay, but the problem is, as the scripture says that the Antichrist is the one that has the, re- the temple rebuilt, and he's the one who is, I'm going to be in charge of the sacrifice. He's the one who built, has the temple built, and he's the one who stirs up the, uh, the starts over the, um, the sacrifices, okay? And, and part of the reason, why, why would the Antichrist want the Jewish sacrifices to be revisited? Any ideas? draw the Jewish people in, and at the same time, while drawing the Jewish people in, um, he, he discards the fact that Jesus was the fulfilled Messiah. Because if you're redoing the sacrifices, then Jesus was nothing. He's, he's not important um, to the mix. And so there's both of that that's going on.
1: <clears throat> well, so what he does in the meantime, in the first three and a half years, he claims that the sacrifices ultimately are to him. So it was yes, he
0: doesn't do that during the three and a half years. That's at the three and a half year mark that he does that. But,
1: but he has built the temple, the sacrifices have started again, and then at the, the three and a half year mark, he says, you have been sacrificing
0: to yeah. me. Yeah, because he declares himself to be God, and if you've been sacrificing to God and he's God, then you're sacri- you've been sacrificing these animals to him. Okay, so... So here, here is part of the, the deal with the rebuilding of the temple and the sacrifices and everything. There's a lot of scripture that, they, that, um, that you can just go right down the line. In fact, the, 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 the three different temple builds and then the, the, the theoretical fourth one, um, the, all of these times that the temple was rebuilt, all the stuff, they would go and they would redo all of the, uh, the utensils that were being used, all of the stuff that was being used in the temple. Because you don't just go in there. It's kind of the David uh, carrying the ark, and the guy reaches up and touches the ark to steady it, and it kills him. God has a very specific way of doing things, and you either do it God's way or you don't. I, I was reading about this today with um, Moses, and um, you know God brings Moses up on top of the hill and says, Look, there's the promised land. And he said, But you're not going to go in it. Because uh, you didn't obey me in this one time. What was the one time? The he hit the rock instead of, um, instead of uh, speaking to the rock like Jesus told him or God told him to. And, you know, I read that. there, and He brings it upon there. Then he says a bunch of stuff. Then he says it again. I read that four or five different times today. And it really kind of got in my head. There's a bunch to it. But let me just throw one thing out that I think is important. You know, God makes the rules, and even if we don't like the rules, He still makes the rules. I don't think it's fair that Moses didn't get to go into the promised land I don't think that's that's right, but I'm not the rule maker i'm I'm not the guy making those decisions and and here's what he down here alex um, here's here's what happens is and I've been thinking about it with everything that our nation is doing right now, and people in our country and everything else where they're so anti-God and they think they are in charge and they think they can do all of this stuff and this perversion and all these things. And they, and they, they are the rulers. They're the ones in charge. Except someday they're going to stand before God and they're going to realize they don't make the rules. They have to go by God's rules. And when God said to Moses, Moses, you're not going into the promised land. There it is, but you're not going. Moses didn't argue with him. By that time, Moses had figured out, you know, God's in charge. When you're standing there and 300 people, the ground opens up and swallows 300 people that have been complaining about you and really complaining about God. I hope you learn to keep your mouth shut when God says something. He's, he's God and we're not. Oh.
1: Well, so he didn't get to step into the um, temporal promised land. But we know that God took his spirit right to heaven. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I suspect that once he was there, it hardly made any difference to him.
0: That's what I was thinking today as I'm reading that. He's looking out over the promised land, and God says, you're not going to be able to go in there. Um, but I'm going to take your life. And I'm thinking Moses is like, okay. Because that's kind of a long, rocky walk down this hillside into the promised land. Why don't we just stop at here? I'll look at the promised land from eternity. I mean, I... I kind of, you know, there is a um there is a, a different way of looking at that, I guess, but but um but when you're the one standing on earth at the time that always doesn't seem that way, especially when you've been spending, you know, for decades and decades trying to get to that promised land and get people into it, you know, kind of thing. But but um you know, God is the one that's in charge. So let's go back. So so we've got the utensils. God makes the rules. He does all the stuff. So then they're trying to follow all God's rules because they feel like this is my supposition. Okay, this is um, this is me positing this. I, I I think it is so easy for us to get caught in the trap of if we do all the church stuff just right, then God will have to do something. God will have to hear. God will have to listen. He will, he will have to go buy whatever. And so the Antichrist is the one who has the temple rebuilt. He's, he has the sacrifice start again. Well, those utensils are already made, and they're sitting in Israel right now. Lots and lots of utensils that are made out of gold, all this other stuff. They've been, in fact, I remember the first time I really heard about this, I was probably early teenager. And um, and I think my mother had been reading something, and she was talking about this. The utensil's already there. Um, all we have to do is have the... the um, the building. Well then every, every, every now and then they'll have a, uh, there'll be a, a heifer, a red heifer that is born that has to, that you have to use according to the rules of how it's all designed that the sacrifices. This red heifer has to be the one that is sacrificed and it can't have a blemish. There's all kinds of things that go along with this red heifer. The fact that it's even red um, is not a normal thing for it to be born that way. And, uh, and so this is the way that, the, that uh, the Jewish people, and then therefore the world that's paying attention, does this, is when you have a lot of these heifers kind of born at the same time frame, everybody starts picking up their ears. You know, oh, well, is that another, is there a sign there? Is there something? Um, is, that, is that Jesus coming back? Which, by the way, I told you guys, the rapture's going to happen, what? Four days? Four days from now? Um, you know, I know, I, I know, you know, p- people are still processing that message from a few weeks ago, but I really do believe the rapture is going to happen during that, um, Rosh Hashanah time frame. it's two and a half weeks. I do believe not this year, not na- I don't mean, I'm not saying not this year. I'm just saying, I don't know what year, but I do believe it's going to happen during that time frame. Yes, yeah, so. Al. Well,
1: this is a Shemitah year and this is the end of the, of the month, the lul, Uh, And that's when God wraps everything up in terms of um, possessions on the earth. Um, So why not? This is a perfect time.
0: This is also, um, I have to look again at this. I I read this a few months ago. This is also um, a significant uh, year of 70 or something like that that happens within the the beginning of the year, jubilee kind of thing. And so I don't know. these, These are all important things. I don't know what year. Um, but, but again, here's why I think The moment you start saying I just don't think the rapture is going to happen I've been hearing that since I was a kid That's exactly what the Bible says You will do And then the rapture will happen So the significance of these heifers The timing um, All this stuff um, There's just one missing thing The temple So theoretically, if, if, if timelines are according to what I've talked about over the last few weeks, the Antichrist is alive right now. He's in positions of power right now. Now we do see from Daniel and from Revelation that he's going to come from obscurity into great power quickly. So, so he may not be a world shaker yet. He may not be on the world scene yet. Depends on how long we have to go. But remember I was talking about that 70 to 80 year time frame and we're in that time frame? If... If I'm right about that and those things match up, then he's got to be a, a, an adult in some kind of position of power or something right now, somewhere. Alex?
2: Um, oh, Ian? Uh, so does the temple have to be built or established? Like, can a building just be dedicated as a temple or does it have to be physically built?
0: Well, it has to be built according to, if you go to Ezekiel uh, chapter 39, it gives the exact dimensions of the of the building. It has to be built according to that exactly. Um, So yeah, I can't, unless there's a building exactly like that, but even that wouldn't work because the potential of it being exact would be very slim. Plus it has to be a certain place. It's not just that it's built, but it has to be a certain place. Shall we?
3: So do you think, is the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount, is that the accurate location do you think, and how do you think that will go away? Like an earthquake or something?
0: Okay, so <clears throat> let me unpack the first part of that. Um, I have read for, for well over a decade now, close to 15 years, I've read a bunch of stuff, and while I was in Israel, I actually looked at some of this stuff. That um, and, it's, and it's very credible stuff. Okay, um, guys like... Um, Benjamin Netanyahu and stuff like that have actually looked at the evidence and said this is legitimate could could possibly be um, I, I don't know i'm not 'm not saying this is my opinion i 'm just saying it just looks really credible that the dome of the rock is not the actual place for the temple okay that it's actually down in what's called the old city of david which is which is um, actually in Across the fences and the wires of occupied Israel right now, barely it 's not too far, but it 's right in um, who 's ever been to Israel have you okay so when you when you want to go to Bethlehem, you realize Bethlehem is a few blocks okay it 's not I, you know before I went to israel i was I looked at the map, but you don 't realize how small Israel is. And you just get on a bus and go a few miles up the road through a very heavily guarded fence and everything. In fact, our Jewish, our Jewish uh, tour guide had to get off the bus and they put a, um, they put a um, Arab Jewish, Arab Jewish, Arab tour guide on the bus because he's not the Jewish guy is not allowed. And then we go literally like a half a mile, and you go see the um, uh, the, the Church of the Nativity. And all that kind of stuff, which just—I think Israel is amazing. I think you got to go it. But some of that stuff is very disappointing when you see it. It is so goofy and commercialized and just silly stuff. But um, so right in that area is this—it is what's called the Old City of David. And there's some there's some really—if cra- you're interested, look it up, Google it, read some stuff about it. There's some really good stuff. One of the archaeologists that helped find some of that stuff. Um, is actually from Colorado Springs here. He's a, he's, been, he's like a lifelong friend of Susan Matthews, Dr. Matthews. And, um, and so she introduced him to me 10 years ago. And he and I have had many, many conversations. He's got video series, books. I've got some of that in my office if you're interested. But uh, he's been down in there. And when I, we went to Israel, he was trying to get permission for me to go down into the dig and see he's got video and stuff of it. But for some reason that... They were restricting that area, but so that is a possibility that maybe it's not the actual temple mount and, and there's actually some biblical evidence that shows that it might not be the temple Mount, okay that that was actually the soldiers' colonnade, and it wasn't the, the temple mount okay I'm saying the, the temple Mount would have been right down. okay now I don't know for sure about that, but it's really interesting stuff. Um, but let's assume that the Dome of the Rock or the Temple Mount is where the temple has to be built. Okay, I've seen some stuff just recently, and this was out of Israel. It was in the Jerusalem Post that's talking about um, that they could build right beside the Dome of the Rock, and it would still get the job done. And so we're, you know, everybody's in negotiations to build the temple right beside the Dome of the Rock. Let, let me help you out in case there's any confusion. No, they're not. They're not in Negotiations about that the, the Arabs are never going to let them be put that temple up against the dome of the rock it's not going to happen ever not going to happen. Um, plus who who owns the land that the dome of the rock's on? Jordan does Israel does not. Now let me say that different. Um, Jordan is in charge of it. Nobody owns it because of, of international law or something like that. But Jordan is in charge of it. Um, and that has changed at different times in history, but right now Jordan is the one that's in charge of it. And um, and so anytime you see things going on with the Temple of the Mount, everybody gets upset and all this kind of stuff, the, the the Dome of the Rock has to go away, and the Jews, if, if that's the right place, they have to build it on that spot where the Dome of the Rock is. And there's never going to be a cooperation where you have the Dome of the Rock and the... And the It's just not going to happen. That's the Hatfield and McCoys. They're not building together. Okay. Now, um, with that being said, what are some possibilities of how the Dome of the Rock gets gone? Um, I've seen one of the best things, and I think this comes from Scripture, but one of the best ones is a book that he talks about them. Joel Rosenberg wrote, it's fiction, but he talks about this. And he's talking about Ezekiel uh, 37, 38, 36, 37, 38, 39, those four ch- chapters right there. Okay. Um, it's great read, wonderful read, very biblically powerful, but it's fictional. And he's talking about, okay, so Ezekiel 38 talks about uh, Iran and Russia and then these other Arab nations um, that come down into. Um, and Egypt is not one of them. That's interesting. But they come down in to invade Iran. Just read, read 38 tonight. Read 38 and 39. It's all written right there. Um, they come down in to invade Israel, Iran, Russia, and these other groups. And they're all named in there. They come down to invade Israel. And as they begin to go into Israel, um, God destroys them, obliterates all their armies. And the scripture says that, those, that the bodies, the corpses that are... Um, that are laid out in the fields are there for months and months. And if it weren't for the wild animals that God sends and the wild birds that God sends to eat these um, people, that it would, it would, it would, they would never get rid of the bodies. There's so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these military people. And, and it says it destroys all of their leaders, all of their uh, generals. Well, Joel Rosenberg writes in his book that he shows that um, that asteroids, meteors, and this actually uh, scripturally from Book of Revelation could be what happens here. But the asteroids come and destroy all of these city centers, and one of the things is that it takes out the, the the Dome of the Rock. Okay, the world's in chaos. All of these Arab countries no longer have armies because they were they're killed. They're all laying right there in front of. The Israelites, but the Israelites' army is still intact. Well, now all of a sudden, they want to negotiate, right? And so they, um, they the, the, the way Joel writes it in the book is uh, that, that they start to build the temple on the Dome of the Rock because nobody can stop them now. Now the Bible does say all those armies are laid out there. So there's some legitimate even though that part Joel is supposing and are um are uh presenting that as an option. We don't know for sure, but that seems very legitimate because there's no soldiers now in any of these Arab countries that had combined forces to attack Israel, but Israel's still standing strong. So they just say well, we're just going to build a the uh, temple. And the, and the way that the book says it is all these asteroids that Revelation talks about takes out all these um, city centers and governments and all that kind of stuff. All of those, those countries that we're fighting or are going to attack takes out all of their government city centers, presidents, leaders, all that kind of stuff. That's just an option. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to happen, but there is going to be a temple built. We do know that. Now, here's something interesting: When so I'm pre-tribulation rapture. If you're not, this doesn't everything I'm saying now is not going to matter to you. but the rapture does not start the tribulation. Okay? The rapture happens sometime before the tribulation. The signing of the peace treaty with Israel and the world starts the tribulation. I believe that there's going to be a space of time like months or or maybe a year or two or something. I don't think it's going to be huge, but I think it's going to be long enough for certain wheels to to turn and things to happen. The rapture happens, and then um, you've got all this other stuff that goes on, potentially even that battle in that space, that time, and and the... Building of the temple. I believe the building of the temple happens after the rapture, the start of the build of the temple, because the Antichrist has to have enough power by that time. And you can read how the Antichrist does this out of Daniel and out of Ezekiel, how the Antichrist gets his power and his authority, some by um, lying, some by his personality, some by threat, all this other kind of stuff. And then the temple starts to get built, and then they start the sacrifices, and in the three-and-a-half-year mark, The Antichrist stops the sacrifices and declares himself to be God. So, all right. Anything else about that? Questions? I don't think it's a scary thing, but it is a sobering thing. I think you should read um, those, those four chapters of Ezekiel. He finishes by talking about the temple. He explains the design of the temple and how it's all set up and everything else. I think it's really... It's very clear to me what, what's going on with all of this. So, you think the Antichrist is going to
3: have the Israelis
4: build it? I mean, is the Antichrist going to rebuild the temple? Say, say that again. The, if the Antichrist is the one who rebuilds the temple, who are the people that rebuild the temple? Well,
0: it'll be the Jewish people because they're the ones going to be doing the... They're going to build it according to the biblical specs. They're going to have the, the stuff's already sitting there waiting. The heifers are there waiting. Everything is waiting. The Jewish people are the ones who are going to be building it. But, but um, the Antichrist has somehow convinced the Jewish people that they need to follow, follow him. And he's also at the same time either right immediately after or right before or something. So, so the first part of the tribulation could be the building of the temple. It doesn't say the temple is built um, by the time of the tribulation. It could be in that time frame or even start afterwards. But here's an idea. This is just something I've thought about over the years. If you're the Antichrist and you're trying to sign a peace treaty with all the world that's against Israel, one of the ways you could bring Israel to that table is to say, how about we let you build your temple if, um, if you sign this peace treaty? I mean, they've been wanting to do that for um, since Nehemiah. Um, they, and then since it was destroyed in 70 AD, so 2,000 years they've been trying to do this. <clears throat> All right. Anything else about a complete different subject, Aiden?
2: Yeah, I had a question for you. I was reading today, um, and that was in uh, Matthew four, and it got to, I got to this point where it talked about them. Jesus answered, oh, "Let's see. Um, which one was that? Uh, then the devil took uh, him to the uh, to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down." For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up uh, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And as I, I was reading in a commentary about that today, and it said that there were some sects that believed that that's how the Messiah was going to come. He would come floating out into the temple, and therefore that would be the, the arrival of the Messiah. But we know that's not how he came. He came by much more humble aspects. He didn't have that instant popularity, which some sects believed he, did, he would have had. But I was curious so as I was reading that they didn't mention which sex were these do you have any idea who they were talking about
0: well the the Essenes had some had some um views of a uh, okay so so do you guys, are you guys familiar at all with uh jehovah witness doctrine jehovah witness theology jehovah Witness is a cult um, um they believe that jesus uh is this Spirit Messiah that comes floating down out of the sky, and what happens is, is we just get better and better and better as a as as a people. The world gets better and better and better, and then we kind of uh, transition into Nirvana, and then Jesus comes and and resides with us. Okay, they get that actually from a long time ago. That's not a new thing. Nothing's new under the sun, right? Um, uh, Solomon said that. The Essenes, there were some other groups that um, that were um, going back to, in fact, this is where a lot of, well, not a lot, but some of what we see as Catholicism nowadays comes from. Okay? You understand Catholicism was the church at first. The word Catholic just means world church, worldwide church. Because um, I, I say this every now and then, that Catholicism is our roots, and some Christians get really mad about that. Well, it's not a roots because they were... You know they worship saints and they worship Mary and all that. Stuff. Those are those were deviations and perversions of the church over time. The church was called the the Catholic or the World Church for the first few hundred years before it became what we now call the Roman Catholic Church, which is a different thing, but it's still of the same roots. Well, there was um, there was this guy named Nimrod. You guys have heard me talk about that. He was part of the the group of the Tower of Babel. Um, Nimrod was one of the um, help me with the term, Um, the Nephilim. He was a descendant of the Nephilim, okay? He wasn't the the first generation, but over time. And um, and there was was a combination of the time, uh, from the time he got older until uh, quite a few hundred years after he was dead, there was a, a cooperation of a worship of the sun god that interacted with uh, Nimrod and his and his mother and Nimrod's mother was called the Holy Mother, okay, uh, uh, Isis, Isis. Okay, don't confuse it with with Allah Akbar, Isis. Okay, um, this is Isis, uh, the sun goddess, and her holy son Nimrod, and she would hold him in in uh, in pictographs and stuff like that. You would see him hold him, and there would be a disc, a sun disc around his head and a sun disc around her head because it was worshiped with sun gods, all right? And this is where some of this came from. This is the group that kind of went down through history. In fact, there's a place in the the New Testament when this guy yells out, "Um, blessed is the mother who you nursed at, okay, something like that. Um, I, I don't want to say the word breast, so I'm, I'm just going to say it like that. So, But but that's the, that's the statement, somewhere like that. And Jesus says back to her, uh, to this person, my, my mother and my brothers are the people that do the will of God. All right? the, the, I believe what is going on there is this person yells out to Jesus that her his mother has the place of prominence and importance because of the cult that was very common in that area of Isis and Nimrod and worship of the Holy Sun God and all this other kind of stuff. okay, And that, that the, part of the tradition is that Nimrod, because he was a sun god, he would come floating down f- from the sun, um, which is where we get a lot of Greek mythology too, by the way, as some of the Nimrod stuff. But he would come floating down out of the sun when he was going to do some spectacular something, uh, feet upon this earth like a superhero kind of thing. How?
1: Would you consider the possibility now, uh, just a little bit of background. One, one is a comment about the, the uh, King James Version Scripture says that uh, this is the time when men began to call upon the name of the Lord, uh, call upon the name of God during the Nimrod period, the building of Babylon. What it really means is that's when they first began to use the Lord's name in vain. They mm-hmm. began to profane him. All right, so... Uh, the, yeah, they no weren't more, praying. Uh, no, no, right. not much. So, um, anyhow, the, uh, the uh, pontiff now, the uh, Holy See in Rome, has asked the question, if an alien comes to earth, does he have the authority to baptize the alien? Uh, what do you think of the possibility that the priest or the, um, the power behind the Antichrist after he establishes himself, the, it is, talks about a second... And, and I can't quote the scriptures in Revelation where he talks about the, the power behind the beast uh, comes up out of the sea. Um, and I don't know if that's the sea of humanity or if it's a different sea. But what about the possibility that this alien comes drifting out, essentially, of the sun, lands on earth, and he is the one who gives this power to the beast, to the Antichrist? Um,
0: so... so- so the uh, um, so the Quran talks about the Islamic Messiah, and it uses language kind of like what Aiden was talking about, and kind of like what you're talking about. And this is this is um, thousands of years old. This is not new stuff. Okay, um, I've been saying forever that I think the reason that aliens get so much traction in our plan in our media and our planet today is because Satan is going to use that as a way to to explain the rapture. Okay? Plus the power that's given to the beast, I mean that could you you're going to have to have something you know here's a couple of things. When you pay attention to popular culture, but not like I need people magazine, I need to know what everybody's doing. I don't understand that. But but I'm saying when you back up and you look at the way society is progressing, um, one of the things that is a major, it is the most major th- thread in society today is all the superhero stuff, right? And, and now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but over the last three or four years, we've seen a, a shift, a transition in the, in the superhero mentalities, now, it's no longer the Superman, Batman, um, good guys. Batman now is, we're not really sure about him. He may be a bad guy, he may be a good guy. But but now your villains are your, your anti-heroes, your super villains, are the actual superheroes nowadays. They're become, What about uh, Venom, stuff like that? We're seeing a major shift and a transition. And when I look at this stuff, to me that kind of tells you, Satan is always playing and he's, he's always trying to set us up, manipulate us, and I think he's developing things that, that will help um, society at large have a mindset for certain things under certain circumstances so that we will embrace them. Things like aliens. I think Satan is setting us up to want to embrace this, these kind of mindsets.
1: One last comment about this transition you're talking about is that they're also transitioning into... Uh, the really effective superheroes are women now.
0: Yeah, everything is shifted to women, too. Yep, yep, yep. I don't think I'm that... I'm not
1: being misogynistic when I say that.
0: No, I don't, think that's, um, I don't think that's, you know, playing into the end time so much. I think that that is a uh, concerted effort to... You know, Linda was saying this the other day. Her and a couple of people were talking about this. And the way she said it, I thought she, I thought she was right on with this. She said, you know, it's, it's weird that to be a, a strong... Woman in today's society means you have to be like a man. You have to be basically a man. Why can't you be a strong woman and be a woman? The feminist movements and the mentalities have actually attacked womanhood. They've gutted the mentality. Trisha's got something over here. They've gutted the mentality of womanhood and even femininity and the stuff that goes along with that. Um, I I don't think... I've talked about some of this, but my, my wife is one of the strongest people, leaders, personalities that I know. But she's not a feminazi. She's very feminine. She's very uh, womanly um, <laughs> ish. But, but she's a strong person, a strong woman, and a strong leader. Why why don't we celebrate those kind of things in today's society? In today's society, to be a a strong woman, you have to be a a butch. You have to be a lesbian. You have to be um, uh, able to beat up men, or or somehow you're not a strong woman. To me, if I was a woman, I would be shouting out, wait a second, you don't have the right to take away who I am so that I can be what you think I should be. Trish,
4: I saw something just yesterday, and I don't know a lot about this, but it was the first thing I've ever heard. First time I heard about it, that but that behind all behind the the line, the bloodline of the royalty through through hundreds and hundreds of years, it's the women that have been the strength, um, like Elizabeth's great grandmother. Was, was the strength behind, and then I, I heard that there, they, the whole um, um, mason stuff, that women aren't allowed in that, but most people don't know that there's a whole masons of women that actually does rule over the men, which is very odd to me. I don't know very much about it, but it's something to keep your, your antenna up with, but the other question I was going to ask you is, what are Ashkenazi's Jews? I heard that they're like fake Jews or something
0: Oh my, this is a big one um, okay so there is a, there is um, there's an argument I, I don't think it's legitimate but but there is an argument right now that the, that the uh, Jewish people, so all of this, this is part of, by the way, the strongest part of this argument comes from the church. This is part of replacement theology that says the church now gets all the blessings and the rewards biblically, not the Jewish people. So when God prophesies about all this stuff about the Jewish people in the Old Testament, modern day replacement theology, which I, I believe is demonic, I don't believe it's biblical, says that the Jews are no longer God's people. Now it's the Christians. The Christians are now, they take over all of the blessings and all the positions of responsibility, authority, or, or promise, or whatever that the Jewish people have got. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the Jewish people are God's people, and we're grafted in. Okay? If you're not Jewish, if you're Jewish, then you're the guy. But, but if you're not Jewish, you get grafted in. You're adopted into the family. You're not... You're not the bloodline. Well, so the way that the replacement theologians, and, and this goes back to Arianism and stuff like that. It, um, Hitler talked about this stuff. That um, that there really is no legitimate Jewish bloodline on the earth today because it's been so twisted, twisted and, and, and watered down and blah, blah, blah. Okay? Um, which is just not true. But that's, you know, that's the argument. And then if you ever hear a term... Um, Uh, Called the Edomites. That's part of of that mentality, and this, and this, the best I can tell, I think this is a pushback against some of that kind of stuff. And and, and everybody's always trying to say um, we're the the true people of God, we're the true Jewish race, or we're the true. Even even the Muslims have um, that—that we're the true uh, people of Abraham—is the way they would say it, right? Um, I sat. I think I've told you guys this, but I sat for. Uh, three or four years talking with this um, Muslim uh, cleric. He was from Pakistan, but he was here in Springs, and he was writing a book. The book's finished. it's on my desk. I mean it got printed in in Pakistan, but I was the the uh, Christian um, apologist for the for the uh, book and and he would explain how the Jewish people were not really the Jewish people, and he had all this stuff that says they're not the Jewish people and and we would sit for hours about this, and then I would say stuff, and in the book he would take like a two-hour conversation and put two sentences in there from me. And he, he quoted me properly. He never misquoted me. I was, I was But it was kind of thin compared to the big picture, but he was adamant about that, that we are the people of Abraham, not the Jews. The, the Jews are always going to be the ones attacked. The Jews are always going to be... The people in the sites, they're, they're the, they're God's people, and that never changes.
1: So, um, there are three basic uh, representations of Satan. Uh, one of them uh, was um, Dagon, one, another one was, what was the one that the, that you Jews threw, threw their children into? Molech. Molech, and then there was another one, and the other one was a female, and I don't know the name of her. But she was also known as the god or goddess of chaos, and chaos means confusion. And what is going on in the earth today is that everything that we know to be true is being confused into something that isn't true. So that what we have now is the, this is the, the goddess of chaos is, or, or Satan as that, is spreading chaos across the earth, so that people who don't have a foundation like ours, don't have a, a kernel of belief, will believe this this confusion, and they'll say, "Well, oh, well, all right, sounds good to me, so it must be okay." Uh, chaos is the word. Yeah,
0: yeah. When you don't have truth, you know the the understanding is you'll fall for anything, right? Well, and that's that's what we're seeing happen is. And I don't. I just really don't get it. I see such just blatant believing lies, it's a lying Cho- choosing, voluntarily saying, "I know it's a lie, but I'm going to believe it anyway. Yeah. I'm going to believe this." It really is. I, I I know I say this often, but I'm not trying to. This is not like a little word game or something that I'm doing. I really don't understand how people can look at something that is so blatantly true and say, I don't, I'm not going to believe that. And we're seeing this all over the world. We're seeing it in, in, in just crazy ways. So, so with everything that we're looking at, with end times and some of this other stuff, um, what, is, what do we do? What do we do? What's our responsibility? Okay. That's, that's a big one. Tell other people. They, they, there are so many people right now that are so confused and so upset. And, and um, they just, they really don't know. They really don't know what to do. They don't know. They don't know how to parent their, their children. They don't know this... I get this stuff all the time where people will act angry and they're like, yeah, well, we've got the rights. We can do this. But then they'll come to you later and talk to you and ask questions about this. Well, how bad is this in the schools? Or how bad is this about this? Or what about this uh, issue over here? Or well, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how, that, how people are so hungry and needing truth. And they're needing somebody to care there's such a void out there right now that they, they just don't have people that care. That's not a that's that's not part of our our that's not part of our our country and our culture right now. People aren't caring about each other. They're at each other. They don't trust each other. They're they're with you know the vitriol of 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 uh, politics and then the vitriol of of race that has been reignited by I believe Satan, but but race baiters and all this stuff and the vitriol of, of people hating the cops. The vitriol of, that's going, just, just going crazy right now. Nobody trusts anybody. Everybody's against each other. People are needing, they're, they're hungry for and needing somebody to care. And then somebody to talk to them and give them some, some basic direction. Um, it, it's everywhere. Everywhere I go, I see that. Everywhere I go. I do all these political things and speeches and town halls and everything. But 90% of the conversations are people coming to me and, and, and saying, well, you're a pastor. What about this? Or what about this? Or can you pray for me about this? And I get up and I do my stuff. And, 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 I, and it is very, I talk about the Bible. I talk about God and all this other stuff. But, but the, the biggest issues are not the political ones. It's their soul. It's, it's oh, that Russell.
3: Um, just you talking about that, like I feel led to go ahead and share this. Um, my younger brother was the one who overdosed back in May and he was hospitalized and, um, finally listened to us and we got him into a teen challenge center and it's in Wyoming and his life is just completely different. Um, About 10 years ago, my dad lost his job and started a new one in North Dakota. But during that time between the jobs, um, he started watching this documentary on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, which that's the Oglala Sioux tribe. I've been Um, there. Yeah. And about... uh, Substance abuse and and things like that. And he began praying for um, the people of the Pine Ridge Reservation. And then he got his job in North Dakota, and he was pretty excited because he was closer to them um, and continued praying. And over the years, like, little things have kind of come into place. And all this time, we've been praying for them, too. And we thought it was going to be my dad reaching out to these people. Well, this past summer, um, I think it was in July there was a, oh, I can't think of the the word, um, but pretty much there was, like, offenses made and, and things like that with the tribe, and the youth demanded that any missionaries, um, you know, different uh, mission organizations and all that be shut down. And the people, the leaders, um, okayed it, and they they shut down you know, the churches, and everybody pretty much had to leave, and some of the people who, you know, Christians and and all that on the reservation stood up and, you know, kind of fought back for it, and so for the the most part, everything was overturned, Um, and any Christian organization had 90 days to register with the tribe, Um, and then any... New organizations wanting to come onto the tribe for any reason had to be pre-approved and and whatnot. So my brother <laughs> um, was asked if he would help to reach the Pine Ridge Indians just out of nowhere, and he was like, um, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know." And my dad was just so excited about it. Well, Josh had to go onto the reservation, um, not as part of any Christian organization. That was his way in without having to register and get pre-approved and things like that. He was going just for himself. And um, he talked to one leader and they approved him going to some services and Josh was telling me that the people are hungry. And so, like, he was warned yeah. that this was the enemy's territory, and you see so much of the substance abuse and and things like that. And um, I know, like, any kind of spiritual stuff can get pretty uneasy and things like that. But I, I hate, it. <laughs> I hate it when it's Native American stuff. Like, it's just, it's so creepy. But um, we've been praying so much, and Josh went to like a packed house service. And the, the gentleman there was telling the people, like we had no idea who this man was. We were told a man was coming, and he had a word for us. And they've <clears throat> invited Josh back. They want Josh, Josh to, to go to different um, events that they're having. They, you know, like there's going to be revivals and things like that. And um, they, they've invited him back because Josh um, has been there. You know, Josh was literally on his deathbed from overdosing yeah. on drugs and alcohol. And he has finally turned his life around. And not just that, but listening to what God has for him. And like I said, we always thought it was going to be my dad to reach these people. Uh, or not to reach them, but to, to go there and, and to be the one. But Josh has been in their footsteps. He knows what they're dealing with. And not only that, but the people don't trust um, non-Native Americans, um, dealing with government, um, Native American history, and and things like that. And so for it to be another Native American going on and not preaching about, you know, the white God is what they call it all the time, but for Josh to speak the truth and things like that and to just encourage us, you know, to be sensitive to those that are hurting and to be able to speak the truth, you know, without fear and things like that. Because, yeah, people are hungry for the truth. And Josh yeah. said he could tell. He's like, people were just relieved. There were family members coming up to him asking if they could, if he could talk to their family member who was going through drugs, alcohol, you know, things like that. And so um he said it's pretty neat that there is hope there, but to, you know, to keep praying. Yeah
0: yeah at the at the end of the day all of this stuff we're talking about as it comes down to this jesus really is god over everything he is it's it's not something we have to wonder about jesus is god i've been talking to our our pastor in india about this that he has the power and the authority of the holy spirit to be um to preach god god's authority over the hindu gods in this village and this is also a muslim area too so to, to to not be afraid to, to explain that Jesus is more powerful than Islam, that Jesus is more powerful than Hinduism, and and he's getting pretty excited about this as as he's seeing people um, wanting prayer, God's touching their bodies, um, they're they people that are coming to church. He 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 shows the Jesus video in in Hindi and in Bengali. Bengali is the language where they're at, and. And uh, people get excited about this because they recognize, we were talking about this some Sunday night at, at my house for the journey, but people in countries like that in situations like that recognize spiritual things quicker and easier because they haven't been Americanified. We, we have such a sanitized American Western mentality approach to the gospel that it's difficult for us to see the supernatural and the hand of Jesus um, we can read something in Scripture, but it doesn't. We don't directly apply it in a mental context to us. Uh, we, 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 you know, we we take the promises, or whatever, but the actual that Jesus would do stuff. But in these settings, they do. And so, I, I just, I just think that it, right here in the United States, too, there are so many people that are so completely um, no knowledge of Jesus Christ, none. And we have the ability to say to them, Jesus is bigger than the stuff you're dealing with. Jesus is bigger. He's more powerful. He can do anything. But but part of what we have to combat, and, and I know this, I don't know how to say this any differently, but part of what we have to combat is the message that the church gives out every week. We have to combat that, that it's not just marshmallows and whipped cream and and let's all just get along kind of thing. No, there's a battle going on for people's souls, and there is sin, and there's darkness, and there's evil, and Satan is trying to destroy, destroy starting from the womb into the to the elementary schools. Satan is trying to destroy and kill and take these kids out and take adults out and, and completely um, emasculate humanity, men, all kinds of things, so that he can win. He's not just trying to... He's not just trying to keep people from going to church. He's trying to destroy their soul. And, and we got to kind of leave some of the church fluffiness behind. I, I know I say this a lot, but it's been a while since I ranted about this. whole. But, you know, we put so much emphasis on certain things in the church. And if you ask somebody that grew up in the church and you ask people that have, are, are ministers in churches, if you say, well, what are the two or three most important things for church? They're going to say things like a cool band and, and lights and cool facilities and stuff like that. But, but you go down to, you go down to the, the gas station and ask the guy standing behind the gas station, if he's, not, if he's not a churched person and you ask him, what do you think the two or three most important things If you were going to go to church this weekend, what do you think the two or three most important things? And it's not going to be even in the top 10 of the things that most churches spend so much time and energy constantly trying to get. They're going to want real. They're going to want power. If all of this is real, I want to see Jesus speak to me. I've had people do that, especially when I was in the Navy. I'd be on a Navy ship and somebody would hear I was a youth pastor or something and then in the galley, somebody come up to me. Hey, so you, uh, you a preacher? Yeah, you you like one of them charismaniacs? I'm like, I, I probably, I don't know. Yeah, sure. And, um, and say, okay, what's God telling you about me right now? Oh, I hate when people did that. I'm like, but it's an easy answer. What is the, what's the answer? Jesus wants you to know him. He didn't speak to me especially about this guy, but I know that's true, right? But I've, I've seen stuff like that all the time. People want spirit. They want something, but they want power. They want something that's bigger than them. And then they want truth. And we don't, we don't, that's not how we look at it. We need to see transformation. That You need to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that the statement, Jesus accepts you just as you are. I know that's a true statement. For about 10 seconds. And then he wants you to get saved, which is what? Completely transform you. Save you from sin. Rescue you from slavery. Forgive you and cleanse you with the blood of Jesus Christ. And set you on a path toward him. It's a complete transformation. But we don't think like that in American church. And that's why when we're talking to people in society, I'm saying the church at large, we don't really have much to say to them except, hey, um... Join what I'm doing. You don't have to do anything different. You don't have to change. It's fun. And, and, we're, and we're selling Jesus out because we think if we can just get people to to have cool church, that we've done something, and it's a danger. It's such a danger. There's not truth there. Does somebody back there got something to say?
4: Yeah, but you're going on such a good rant. As I hate to interrupt. <laughs>
0: And I hate but, for you to interrupt. Too. Well,
4: um, first, I just feel very impressed to say what I'm going to say, and that's that. That Satan is go- Satan wants us to believe that he's winning. He wants to believe he's winning. He knows he's not winning, and I think back to when when Jesus was on Earth. You have to think that the people the the people who were against him, the, the, the church that was against him that says, you're not the Messiah, who do you think you are? You have to think they knew Scripture, and some of them knew it really well. And you have to think they, had what, they went out of their way to make sure the prophecies about him were not going to come true. And yet, didn't they come true? They all came true. Yeah. And that no one could stop the hand of God when it's in motion. And, and we need to remember that that in our lives. You know, no, no enemy can, can stand against us when we stand with Jesus.
0: Yeah, you know, on this whole political thing I'm doing, I just want to get to the election so I can get into session. I'm looking forward to it. The more I pray about this, I know God has got some big stuff planned. I don't even know really what it is, except that I know how God operates, and so I know some of it. But I, I'm just excited to the fact that I'm going to be able to talk to people and pray with people and all this other stuff, and I have people that will say things to me like, um, yeah, but you're you know, you're know going into the enemy's camp, and all these, they're so ensconced in their mentalities and all this stuff. And I, I just want to... I want to say, I don't think people know what I do. I don't think people know what I've been doing for the last 32 years. I don't know what people think pastors do. But a lot of what we do is go into those difficult circumstances and situations on a regular basis. The idea that somehow this is all I do is I sit here and I preach to people that basically believe the same thing I do. That's a small part of what being a pastor is that I go into the difficult places and I know what it is to witness to somebody and talk to somebody in a a very challenging, difficult situation where everything is against me, nobody agrees with me in that setting, and everything, going to to state capitol is not going to be different. It's the same concept. And here's what I know. These people are hungry for Jesus. They just don't know it. They're hungry for Jesus. Some of them do know it. They need truth and they want truth, but they're so buried in their own existence and their lifestyle and their politics and everything else that it's a big climb out. But, guys, take half the stories just in the New Testament. How quickly can Jesus pull somebody out of that stuff? How quickly does he reach down and, and, and change their entire existence? Completely transforms them in moments when they begin to realize that he's God. You and I, as scripture says, have the power of God by which people can be saved. You and I have the knowledge of the truth that saves people. The authority to proclaim it in Jesus' name. Guys, we should know. We should know. I think what Trish is saying is true here. We should know that we are on the winning side, but man, we just don't act like that very often. I belong to the king. The king is directing my steps. I'm not. Now, there's the challenge, right? But the king is directing my steps. I'm going to follow him. And it's amazing what he can do. All right, how should we pray? Well, I'm sorry, does somebody else have something? No. Um, how, how are you going to pray? What's stirring in your spirit? How do we pray about all this? We've kind of hit a few different subjects. How many of you have downloaded your app and are praying for the people in your neighborhood? Good. Do this. Do this. Do this, guys. Do it. All right, here's some things. Lord, keep me focused on you. Psalms 91, a thousand will fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it won't come to me. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Keep my eyes on the path. He's ordered my steps, one step at a time. Keep my eyes on Jesus. What is it? Um, Hebrews 12. Keep my eyes on Jesus so that sin will not easily trip me up. Keep my eyes on Jesus. If we do that, and I mean really pursue him. I'm talking a little bit about this Sunday. And then, and then next week, got a message God's been working on me for a while about um, why our society looks like it does and how that we are how that looks in our spirit too, and some things, but, but just keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus, and you'll be amazed at what He'll do. He'll bring peace and direction, purpose. He'll define you for you, rather than have somebody else define you. He's the one who will set you um, on the rock. You know the hind's feet in high places kind of thinking. What is that, Proverbs 5 or something like that, I think? But um, he's pretty big. He's pretty big. Let's let him be that. Let me pray. Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you right now. This is you. This is your moment, Lord. That you just do what you want. In my mind, my spirit, do what you want. That, God, we know, we know the, the end is approaching. We understand. We can see the signs of the times. We know things are not going to get... Um, better, but Jesus, we do know that you are still in control, and that people are going to get saved, and that's that's better than better. So, Lord, we submit our minds, our mouths, our lives to you. We submit ourselves to you. That you be in charge. You be the king. That we'll follow you. We'll listen to you. We'll do what you desire. Uh, To the best of our ability, God, help us. Help us with that. Convict us when we're off base. Draw us in close. God, help us to, to just trust you, to have confidence, not to be scared, not to be afraid, not to be anxious or nervous or all the things that Satan wants to do, not to have fear. Lord, we stand against any kind of manipulation, control, destructive mentalities that Satan tries to do. Lord, we belong to you. Give us that confidence. Put that deep in our spirit. I belong to you. This is, you are God. You have made today. You have made me. You have made the, the planet. Lord, help me to see that you're in charge and not to waver from that. And Lord, there's so much stuff coming at us from so many different angles, even, even biblical stuff just coming from every angle. And, and, um, and a lot of this stuff just isn't from you. So, God, help us to have discernment, to see it, to understand, and to walk strong with you in the name of Jesus. We commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, You guys have told me that you want me to tell you when things are happening. Um, Politically, there's an event here at the church Friday night. Uh, we're, we're strongly reaching into the Latin community, um, but you're welcome. And there is an event. I saw some flyers out there in the foyer. There's an event having to do with those flyers that you can look at also. That's it. See ya.